Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. This episode features Toby Bridges, chair of MBT Group, who grew his family business from 3 million to 14 million in three years and attained the Northeast 50 fastest growing companies list two years running. We talk about everything from the pivots in a 115-year-old family business to managing multiple non-exec and board roles to leading the way in digital supply chain and bringing others with you on a journey of extreme change. So welcome, Toby. We are excited to have you join us. I think let's start with your highlights. Tell us what your top three highlights from your career so far have been. Well, that's a that's a starter for 10, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, I mean, the obvious one that I would jump to was that 2017, 2018, we won fastest 50 and then won it two years running, which I don't think has been done before, which is, that's obviously exciting. So that, that would be a highlight. And that came from a, from a change in the business, my iteration of the family business. So I think that probably should sit atop, but maybe one of parts of the conversation today is actually, did it feel like that at the time? Another highlight would be probably in the... Again, family business. Actually, the the other two highlights would be family business-wise. One is me being able to look back at being four or five years old and working with my granddad Mm -hmm. down in Melbourne House, down at the bottom of Dean Street. That would be a highlight from a business point of view, I guess, because that's probably where it all started. And I can still remember really clearly some images from him being there working and my grandmother working in the business. I think that's it. And then my other highlight would have been just recently with both my boys coming in and working in the business too, a, a little bit in their own way, doing some warehouse duties and that's which is where I get where I started. So I think those are probably highlights amongst a myriad of other ones because I've done this for 30 years. And I'm sure we'll yeah. get into some of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's why yeah. we restricted you to three because yeah. otherwise... There's <laughs> loads of them. Yeah. I think the key thing is, and actually just thinking about it, it's, it's one of the things I talk about with other people is, is that just knowing that they're a highlight at that point in time, you and I've talked about this, Aaron, you know, is that, recognising that you're having a highlight because <laughs> sometimes, you know, there's other stuff going on and you miss it. And taking some time to celebrate and yes. actually pausing and yes. going, God, that actually was really great. Yeah. yeah. And not being embarrassed too. Yeah. And when people come and say, you've done something really well, accepting it. You know, I see some, I do see some challenges around the business community. You know, I sit on the board of the Entrepreneurs Forum and I sense that it's with some people is that they don't want to accept the fact that they've done really well. You yeah. know, and that, yeah. but you really should celebrate because at the end of the day, what are we doing this for? Yeah. You know, so... And yeah. Yeah. Let's build on that. So we obviously know MBT is a family run business and it's been running for, for a century now. 115 years. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the key pivots that you've had over those years. You, but even before that, what were the key pivots for the business? The most interesting pivot for me is this one is where my great grandmother decided to keep the business running. I assume she was probably already still running it with my grandmother and her two sisters and they went into the mines in Northumberland and became the largest supplier of Ericsson telephones in the UK. So four women running a business in the 1950s in an entirely industrial and difficult male-oriented, I assume, landscape, you know. So that that's a fairly major pivot, you know. I think for anyone to be able to go and do that is difficult. 
but for you know when we talk about i'm really keen on promoting everyone to run great businesses but particularly women because we need more women running businesses these days but actually there are lots of stories around where people have done that and and she did that you know and one one of the interesting things and all that for me is is that when i was a kid growing up i said it before i thought my grandfather run the business i spent time with him and i thought he was running the business but i actually have the minute books found them the other day of my great grandmother sitting in the chair with my grandmother being the md and her two sisters being the directors and my grandfather only ever gets a mention in the in the minute books when he was due a pay rise it's the only time oh, that's that. interesting isn't it gerald, gerald gerald got an extra three pence this month back in the 50s <laughs> do you know what i mean that was it and then there's lots of strategy everything yeah. that they're doing all the numbers and all that and he's only mentioned and, and yet i would have said probably 10 15 years ago i thought he ran the business it was only when i discovered these books that i realized that he hadn't you know Perception, so, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. yeah it is and how it looks and maybe how he presented it so the ladies ran the business right through until the 70s and then it was all in the minds and the minds changed their format and we started getting into the maggie thatcher period and that became a challenge and that business started to to run away a bit and at the same time 3m company the posting that people came to my dad who'd come back into the business from university and said look we've got this new invention called brown sticky tape for sealing boxes. Would you like to have a go selling it? And he went, yeah, why not? And so he took it to Procter & Gamble when they were down at Seaton Delaville. And they loved it because they were tying their boxes up with string. And he gave them this product, which sealed boxes with the brown sticky tape. So he got into that distributing for 3M. And, and then we got the very clever stuff, but bonding stuff together. So imagine a Formula One car, it's all glued together. Essentially, we got into those products. And, but the business has always been bringing in from somebody else and moving it on. And so we did that for years. And when I came into the business from university, bright-eyed marketing grad, that's what I came into. And he and I started a few other business, one up in Scotland, a couple down south, all doing that sort of thing. And then we went through all that. But then as the 2000s hit and China became something, and a lot of the industry in the Northeast disappeared to China, our business was really in white goods manufacturing. So lots of people making cookies and microwaves and those sort of products, and like Philips, Samsung, those brands, Electrolux, they all disappeared to China. And so 2008 arrives, we're coming towards this recession, I'm left with this business, my dad and I are arguing about the future because it's starting to really suffer, particularly in the Northeast. The other ones we had weren't too bad, but the one Northeast got decimated. And I think sometimes we forget that, about the sort of history of our economy here. And so I was lamenting my woes at a big client of ours, who have been a client now for 50 years, a company called Avery Dennison up in Gramling, then who made labels essentially, bought a lot of sticky tape from us over the years. And I was lamenting my woes to this young junior buyer. And he said, Toby, we don't buy sticky tape from you. We've done that for, it was 30 years at that point in time. And I went, okay, so, so, so what do you buy from me? He says, I buy the fact you never let me run out. And I went, oh, okay. So my pivot came in. So I said to him, I said, what more can I do for you then? If, I, you know, if I'm that good and never letting you run out, he said, well, just do everything. And I went, what? He said, just do everything. He says, what you need to do, and he's this lad, he was probably 24, 25 years old. He said, just make me redundant. I went, okay. So he, he took me into his warehouse and said, look, here's all this stuff. And there's a bit of sticky tape, a lot of sticky tape, a lot of sticky tape down in this corner. And then there's all this other stuff that we buy. And I went, okay, well, just give me it. I'll manage it all for you. So we did that. I took it all off them. We managed it all in. We were going in, whatever it is, twice a week, whatever the times was, with a, basically with a clipboard and pen going, right, you need three of them, six of them, two of them, four of them, and then feeding product into the lines, which essentially meant they took everything out of their warehouse, which feed up all their people to do, to go and work on the lines, do value-adding stuff, no cash tied up, more space. They put a couple more lines in, which created more value in the plant. And he gave me an open order, essentially, to manage all that and got made redundant <laughs> and went on to be director of purchasing for tarmac I think so he just jumped right up he saw it he could see where the world was going and so from there 
I've taken that on and that's what we do now. So we've moved away from being product specialists into service specialists. So we're, we're, we're very good at the last mile of, of moving product around. That, that was my first iteration of this. And then to manage all that, we've created some technologies inside the business which allow us essentially to manage these thousands of products because trying to do it on a clipboard, you know, three of them, six of them, two of them is impossible. And it was just destroying my people, which is never a good thing to do. So what we've done now is we've created some sort of internet of things type technology. So basically walk in, walk out stores where you can walk in, pick up a product and walk out again. And the system recognizes you've done that. So therefore nobody involved in that process. But because we've done that, what it then allows us to do is create digital twins of inventory. And a digital twin then allows us to tie that into other systems. So we can tie inventory directly into predictive maintenance or into an ERP system. And so what we're moving to now, and we have a, a spin-out tech company within the group. So we've got MBT and Vitech, and the tech company looks after that side. And we're creating technologies that allow people to digitize their supply chain so that in essence, eventually, they will be able to see where a product is at any point in time, whether they've just ordered it and it's still in China or it's running through a supply chain here in the UK. And the importance of that is, is that the reason that we overconsume in this world is because people don't know how much they've got of anything, so they order wrongly. It's all based on human and emotional decision-making still, and what we want to do is stop that and make it digital. I've got a question before we dig into that because we've got some innovation stuff to talk to you about obviously having seen your behavioural map. But I want to ask you a question because there was something that you said there about your great-grandparents. And I'm interested in this notion of perception because I think as business leaders, it's a really interesting thing when people have perceptions about you, positive or negative. You know, the perception that people had of you when you were in the fastest 50 to perceptions at other periods in time. How do you manage that? Is that something that plays into your thought process? not at all. Never has done. And I think that's what I was saying before about the whole celebration piece. I was amazed that we got selected for Fastest 50 first and foremost. And then I walked into a room with 50 and some really amazing people in that room, a lot of old friends who, you know, are doing some great stuff. And then somebody goes, oh, by the way, you won it. And I almost fell on the floor thinking about And so I don't think I've ever tried to manage a perception of me. I do what I do. I love what I do. Do you know what I mean? It's challenging. It's hard. Really difficult. The pandemic was impossibly difficult for us as a business model we had. But in terms of how people perceive me, I, you know... Uh, you know, I've always wanted to try and help. I mentor a lot. You know, I've started charitable foundations and such to try and bring back more to community. But that's in my DNA because that's what great grandfather did. That's what grandparents did. That's what my dad did. You know, and so that's that's not me doing things because I want to be seen as you know big I am or whatever how I want to be perceived. It's just that's what we've always done. It just seems to be the right thing to do. So I've never managed my perception of me. I think that's great because that's, we have a lot of conversation about that, don't we? That I think sometimes. The accolades, the awards, all of that circuit, while there's some really deserving pieces of it, sometimes you find you meet business owners where they're really tightly managing that perception and actually when you get under the skin of it, it isn't what it looks like. And I think that that authenticity piece, we're huge believers in, like, be who you are, value what you value and act through that. Yeah. Do you think that's newer businesses? Do you, do you think that's because millennial-style businesses are coming through in a world of influence and social media where you have to manage yeah. it tightly because actually you can get caught. I, I'm not a social media, if you look for my social media profile. I use LinkedIn a bit, you know, but the rest of them I don't use at all now. And so therefore I don't manage any of that. But I guess if, if you're living in a world where you are managing that perception, then you can expectation. Do. I think there's an expectation, yeah. for sure. And I think people lose 
we definitely work with people where they've lost sight of who they are yeah. at the core of it all and they're not even realizing necessarily that there's actually some inauthenticity there that people are probably disconnecting with but i also just yeah. think i think we're becoming saturated now you know where not massive believers in lots of these awards and things. I think we're becoming saturated with external validation now that I don't think was around as much 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I think what I loved about Fastest 50 was it was just a number. Yeah. And they came to me and yeah. said, you've hit the right number. Yeah. And then actually you've, you've hit the, a number big enough to win it. And it wasn't about writing a great application or anything like that. It was just about actually winning something. And for the team, great for the team, you know, it... it and you move through. I mean, your behavioural map tells us that you're 100% big picture. So a visionary, like the person who likes to see the future, think about where he's going rather than necessarily pressing pause and thinking about the present from a business standpoint. And also you're 88% difference, which means that not only are you like a lover of change, you want to be a disruptor. And I mean, that story you've just told us about all the pivots in the business, you obviously came from probably a bloodline of disruptors. Tell us a little bit about what impact that has on the people around you who work for you. You've obviously got this huge appetite for driving change. What does that feel like, do you think, for for those around you? Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but for me, you know, your biggest strength is always going to be your biggest weakness, and you've got to be really conscious of that. And not everyone's always ready for change. And, and so managing that, I was never that good at doing it. My dad and I argued a lot around direction of the business and all that sort of thing and I don't think I ever delivered where we should go next effectively it was more stamp your feet and move on let's just change I don't understand why you don't understand this just let's just change and particularly as I was younger I'm more conscious of it now but I'm still not great at managing that and actually I'll walk in the office and people will say to me and jokingly and this is this has always been this is what are we changing today and you know change for the sake of change is not good but it's about also for me yeah it is about having that big picture know where you want to be but it's it's then creating a team around you who can support that and recognising that and that's what I've done relatively well to a degree in finding the people who can put those little steps in to get to where you want to go and then you know change the world 1% every day and in 100 days you'll have changed the world wholesale but it's then allowing that 100 days to happen and not expecting it all tomorrow and so I, I want and I want and I drive and I'm passionate about it so I really am passionate about a lot of stuff and sometimes I just go just just chill out a bit you know slow down a little bit because you've got to take people with you and what you don't want to do is just have it sound like absolute bollocks you've got to have a right to this is where we want to be and, uh, and I've said that so as you know I've taken MBT back over step back in as chief exec or MD or whatever whatever role you want to call leading the business at the moment for a short period of time because I've got a great senior leadership team and I, and I want to see them step up and, and lead that business into the next 10-15 years and give them the skills to do that but I've said and I've said that look day one you will be running this business. I'm only going to create the direction travel where I want to be. And, and the chances are I will draw a, the pitch over here somewhere and you'll be playing on this pitch and I'm going to want to go play on that pitch. And But it's your job to take steps to that, not me go, right, let's go and play and change it all over here, which is what I would have done. You know, so I think it's that balance. I've got an image of him like taking his ball and saying, right, I'm going on this pitch. And <laughs> what you need is someone on the other pitch going, just bring the ball back over here so we can see how we're going to get it's there. It's exactly that. Yeah. And there's definitely... And giving permission to your team to do that. To do that. that. Because yeah. I'm to not challenge right. you. And almost, yeah. I'm not right because I recognise yeah. I'm not right. And, you know, I think when you're younger and more wet behind the ears, you don't recognise that. You're always just right. I was always just right and we're doing this. And my dad and I fell out about it. There's no two ways about it. But I, And I, I wish I could go back and change the way I did that because you might be right, but there's degrees of being right and how you get to, to this other world. You know, we made all the right choices, 
I've done a million things wrong with so many battle scars of the stuff you go, why on earth did I do that? But I think deep down, set down and where I'm at and the things we have achieved as a business and where we are, we are absolutely cutting edge of what we do as a business and, and how we manage our market and what my great grandfather started, still doing the same thing. In fact, what his father did before, because that was all just distribution. And I think it's just those little steps and taking people with you and giving them permission to go, whoa, hang on a second, why should we be doing that? And I think I'm at a point now where I'm, I would say that to them. And that I also recognize that I don't know everything. I used to know everything. Or just <laughs> That's a big thing to admit, Toby. People are going to replay this to you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you used to know everything, but but you but know. It, but it's true. Yeah. And like I yeah. say, I now have all these battle scars, some really deep ones that go. We should have done that better. But that's where you get your growth. And, you know, the, the listeners are going to be listening, thinking, you know, I'm probably a bit like that currently, or maybe they can see similarities and what you're describing but the beauty about behaviors is that you can learn to flex them yeah. and flex them in ways that influence other people better so bringing your team along with you more effectively communicating the change and the improvements around the change because to be fair it's infectious what you've got is infectious mm. people want to get on board and and change the world yeah. with you and that is probably your biggest strength yeah. so hence why you do lots of other things and we're going to come into some of the other roles outside of mbt yeah. but that is like you, you you beautifully articulated it it's your biggest strength but sometimes it's the thing that comes and bites well, it's you the blind it's spots yeah. it's the stuff really what you're describing there is those blind spots that you're now starting to become more consciously yeah. aware of and building around it but it's tricky when you first came into the business Toby when your dad obviously was still in it what was the leadership team structure like at that point was there really one or how have um, you built that dad run it dad was the gaffer dad run it and that was it but we were a much smaller when I first came we were a much smaller business he grew it really quickly actually over a period of time grew it really quickly and in fastest 50 arena around he probably would have won it do you know what I mean not that he didn't I said I won it and he didn't but <laughs> No, not that he and I are competitive or anything. Not in any way, <laughs> but, but that's a good, that's also a healthy thing. But nobody would have done. Do you know what I mean? Because he had some rapid growth, and then obviously we built the business. But he he ran it himself, and so therefore me then playing into it, because I didn't. I came in. I mean, I started off at the very bottom work through, and even when I came back from uni, I was just a marketing assistant. Do you know what I mean? And then I had to go and do every other job, so jobbing sales rep and bit of purchasing and bit of finance and all that sort of stuff. So I did it all. And then ultimately I became marketing director at some point, sounds like a really grandiose title. And it was at that point where I started, I didn't think there was a future for my dad's business. But you know, at this point it's 30 odd years old and it's just on the natural decline. I mean, there's still a business now, we still sell quite a lot of sticky tape today. We just don't do it in quite the same way as he did it. You know, we're not product experts, we're service experts. And then we sort of created a board, but we never really had a formal board. I, I when I took the business over, I moved towards more of a formal board and had an external non-exec on it and all that sort of thing because I just wanted to keep me in check and that's worked to a, to a degree. And we've had two or three non-execs now who've acted for us. What do they give you that you didn't have? Well, it's just, it's, it's, they're not part of the family, which is important. I think it says on my title at the moment, but I don't really care what the title is. It's, I mean, I'm a classic exec chairman because I mean, I'm big picture, I'm strategic, and that's where I was. I've stepped back in it because my chief exec stepped out because he's got a great opportunity to go work for another really interesting company down south. So he's taken that opportunity, and then I've thought, well, I'd like to step back in again because I like being in there, I have to say. And so, yes, but the non-execs, what they bring is, I'm sorry, my dad's still non-exec chairs, and so he'll come in and run board meetings. But I think the, the, an advisor who's not family gives you a different perspective but it's just important to have to I've non-exec and I would never 
probably pick a business that I know intimately well because business is business and it's good just to be able to to give people a different aspect yeah. make them think differently rightly or wrongly do you know what I mean you, don't, you know at the end of the day people don't have to do what it is you think they should be doing but it's just challenge isn't it I think and it's interesting isn't it because I think the longer you're around so I do an non-exec role for a big organisation in America and I've actually done that role for eight years and it's interesting because I was talking to somebody the other day almost that balance of like at what point do you stop becoming an non-exec and I don't think there's a right or wrong to that but I think there's different challenges because what I now do for them is less about an external challenge because yeah. I've become so involved in the yeah, business and, brain, and yeah. now it's much more of a strategic input role yeah, yeah. but I think the value of non-execs that really do sit external and aren't there for as long it's that external piece of like, I don't really care if I piss you off today. Because yeah. actually, I'm just going to ask you that question because I don't need to sit next to you tomorrow. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, because your other dominant is you are 100% choices. And what that means is you like lots of variety, lots of different things. And obviously, I know you step back into this role, but you juggle lots of other things. What does that look like? And where are the... Where are the pros of that? But also, where is that? Where are the downsides? Biggest strengths, the biggest weakness, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Again, uh, so I wear a number of hats. I always have done. And people sometimes look at me going, how on earth do you manage all of that? Sometimes really very badly. Sometimes really very well. <laughs> I do like variety. I think that's part of probably my mum's side of the family. She's always, she, you know, she's always like variety in her life, do you know what I mean? But it's just a drive to want to do different things and be with different people and enjoy life in its widest format for me. I I, I could never sit at a desk doing one job. It would drive me crazy. And I think we all have an opportunity to start stuff, get stuff wrong, get stuff right. And Sarah's really conscious of some of the other work that I do, do you know what I mean? And where I look and think we've got loads of stuff right, loads of stuff wrong. But actually, it's just about learning and growing and, and hopefully making a difference. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to, yeah, at the end of the day, look, we all want to make some money and... And, and be secure and all that side of it. But actually, it's just trying, for me, it's, it's trying to find ways of making a difference. And, you know, we, we, get, we get one shot at this, yeah. and I just want to be pushing doors open wherever I can and, and spending time with great people. Yeah. But then it makes your life busy. I do look back on my life and think some of my hobbies I've turned into businesses. That was probably a mistake, <laughs> you know, because it's that Part time. and parcel of the serial <clears throat> entrepreneur. That's the, but that's yeah. it, it, And it is, but it's, you know, and it's going like, just don't do that. Stop Stop doing that. You know, you can see, I could throw, I think we could do this better. I think we could manage all this better. How this framework, you know, so theatre is a great example. You know, back, not, I didn't do this very well, but I did tread the boards for a little while after I stopped playing rugby because I found it a great way of just chilling out, really. And if you're playing a different character, you're not playing yourself, and that's quite a nice thing to do. But it also teaches you to communicate better yeah. as well. So I encourage anyone, particularly an entrepreneur, is to go do an acting class because it's a great way of learning how to communicate. That's what acting is. It's communication. And, and I did that and then it evolved into a business, became a business, because I decided I wanted to run a theatre because I thought I could run it better than anybody else, of course, cause big picture. <laughs> and uh, and so and for the last 17 years, that's been part of my, you know, founded a, a theatre company and then founded a, an actual theatre itself down in, in North Shields, which was pretty successful for quite a number of years. So, yeah, so I think I, I, I'm never going to change. That is who I am. I want to be doing different stuff all the time and experiencing different things, whatever that might be. But the challenge is how do you stop it just becoming a business again? For sure. And I think also that if you're doing stuff, if you're highly motivated by choice and variety and options, if you have that in your life, 
your motivation levels stay high. If you don't, that's when your motivation levels can often dip and you start to stagnate and you feel like you're not contributing. And I think it's interesting, like you've recently been invited to be a visiting professor at Northumbria University. I know, amazing. And, uh, that's why I I'm mean, wearing this jacket with arm patches on it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> In character. She's got that out. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I know I was joking about that. Yeah, but tell us, tell us a bit about that, because that's such a, an amazing thing, but also, again, something so different to, to what you're doing. And I know it's linked to the digital supply chain, but tell us about that. It's just, it is all linked to it again, and that's the latest iteration of the business really is because I've moved what we do at MBT, started to digitise, looking at things differently. What's really important for universities these days and what I think Northumbria University are doing extraordinarily well is starting to think about the impact of their research and what I think I'm starting to bring to the university is the real world. They've got some really very clever people working on all sorts of data and digital modelling and supply chain modelling, which is quite a strong core set within Northumbria University's research work and educational work and, and I think what I what I'm bringing to them is that real world access and challenge and big picture and why we might do this and actually how does the, how did the two worlds start hanging together and become more effective because for me those worlds are still separate I mean how many how many businesses are actually particularly SMEs are actually working with our universities probably very few because it's quite difficult to, to create access and all that I've worked really hard to stick at it and work with them and try to understand it. And I think they've recognised that and the recognition is that is that's why they made me a visiting professor. It's not because I'm going and doing lectures and everything. It's it's an honorary title because I do hopefully bring as much to the party as the academics would do on the other side, but from a real world perspective. So that's exciting, yeah, and we're doing some really, you know, at the moment we're building out a whole digital supply chain, which is almost the most impossible thing to do. So. One of, one of the myriad of thousands of hundreds of thousands of products we sell these days are, are copper welding tips. And how do you digitally create a, a supply chain from the copper welding tip right back to the copper mine through all its touch points? And where is it at any point in time? And then how do the macro factors of, you know, what happens if there's a war in Ukraine? Does that affect the supply chain? If it does, where could it switch to? So it's all that digitization and visibility of products which people don't have now, which hopefully ultimately for me will stop overconsumption in the world because that's what's killing the world at the moment is overconsumption and that's one of the things I want to try and fight you know whether that's inside the automotive industry we're quite strong but working with the NHS at the moment looking at some of theirs where overconsumption is a massive problem that's because nothing's digitized and you know it doesn't whether chat GBT has been born or not if nothing's digitized AI won't work on on manual stuff or stuff that's in people's heads really so for me it's about how do we move it all that and we're working at the moment with the university to create a centre for digital supply chain here in the northeast. So I sit on another board down in London, which is government backed within Digital Catapult, which is the digital supply chain hub, which is, as I say, government funded about digitising supply chains across all sectors, but predominantly manufacturing. And what I want to do is try and bring the impetus of that here to the northeast and sit it within inside the university where anyone can come and be a part of that and learn about where they could go next. So that's why I think they've given me that title and I'm really really keen to see the impact of the universities I I just never realized what they could bring because we will live in two different worlds and that shouldn't be the case business should live hand in hand with a university and we should be working more closely together because as they're driven to think about the impact of the research that they create they have to have a way of enabling that to, to have that happen therefore business has got to work so I'm really quite keen to and again, sitting on the Entrepreneurs Forum board, I'm quite keen to see that link happen with the members. Yeah, and how does how does your business get affected or, or can be positively affected by the work that 
any university, and we've got some great universities in the Northeast, not just Northumbria, but you know, it's how, what's going on there that would help your work and would sit alongside us, because there sure. will be something. And I think it's something that people are not as aware of mm. in terms of, you know, I think people still forget about how much research is going on outside of the teaching that universities do, but actually where's the access for businesses? Um, the so I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's connecting all that up, isn't it? Connecting it up, but also sometimes even with our product, for example, over here at Product Channel, we've had conversations with Northumbria as well. And it's about sometimes that rigorous research methods can really help validate and give credibility to your idea. And as entrepreneurs, we don't necessarily think like that. We're thinking about how do we get it into market? How do we make the difference? But actually building some of the more formal sort of research methods behind that can really, really strengthen your product. So I think definitely let's, you know, for the listeners, like reach out to a university locally, speak to them, see if it can can help you and your business. Because I think it's it's actually... I don't think it's perceived in that way, and, and we can we can definitely. Yeah, uh, and and I think for me, if, if people who are listening to this want to do that, reach out to me. Do you know what I mean? I can certainly help, certainly help with that Northumbria, but I knew Newcastle quite well as well. So, and they're all doing some really interesting stuff. We talk two different languages. That's one of the key problems that we have. There's an academic language and there's a business language, and we have our own colloquialisms and such. But I think for me. If UK PLC wants to move on, that connection needs to be stronger. You can see what's going on, you know, more conscious of what's going on down in Cambridge and that connection between business and the university there. We just need to bring that here. And hopefully part of this whole devolved authority is going to help with that. Hence the reason I sit on the let board as well. It's about how do we bring stuff closer together. And for me, the future is absolutely about collaboration. It's about how do we work together. If we could have no competitors in this world, life would be so easy. It'd be it boring might, though. It might be boring, but actually, could we work together to do things better, but yeah, you're never going to not have competitors, you know. But actually, as the world moves on, to digitize the supply chain, you have to bring everyone together. They all have to recognize where their benefits are and what they're getting out of that. If they don't, they won't act collaboratively. Therefore, yeah. the benefits will disappear. And for the world to change for tomorrow, we'll have to be acting together. And that's not something that's going to change overnight, but it's something we'll have to change, I think, even as human beings. Practically, what advice have you got for people who are digitising more of their supply chain internally and are maybe getting pushback from the people in the business? That's that's a great question. I spent my life... Digitising a supply chain, my techies will hate me for this, is really, really quite simple. It's about converting everything into ones and zeros. It's not that easy. They've got some very clever people doing some very clever stuff. The biggest challenge is it's people seeing risk in... Well, I'm going to lose my job. I mean, I've said before, we, we have storerooms now which literally automate everything. And you walk in, pick it up. Well, once upon a time, and some of our clients, there have been 10 people working in that storeroom. And now there's nobody. Those people have moved on and upwards, though. And, and across the lap, we've always talked about more and better jobs. Yeah. So a better job is I create more value, therefore I get paid more. But it's not going to be here doing this manual task forever. You know, so they talk about Industry 4. Industry 4 is a revolution. It's an entirely different way of working. It's about using data and automated systems to get rid of the manual to allow people to say to move on and do better things and, and they have to understand that but that is a cultural change it's really important for businesses like yours to understand that because it's it's a huge opportunity to help people move forward but we, we have to do that we can be scared of ai and all these things and there is some risk of course there is but there is some huge benefits too and it's about how do we control that manager and have people understand that actually you might be driving a wagon today, but tomorrow it's going to automate. 
and, and that's coming and it might be tomorrow and it might be five years and it might be 10 years, but the chances are it's coming. So actually, how do we enable those people to look at other opportunities in life? I think one of the most important things we can, we can know now when we come to a job is, I, I started off as a van driver for my dad back in the day when I was 17, passed my test and there you go, drive a van, son, well done, no problem when you drive a van. And I probably could have done that for the whole of my working career. What I'm saying is, is that I suspect that might not be possible now. If you started now, that might not be possible for the whole of your career because I think automated technologies will eventually allow these wagons to drive themselves, I think. But therefore, how do you help people see that that's not the only job you have to do? You don't have to do a job for life. We're all probably going to ultimately end up doing more things, which is more about then helping people to become more creative in the way they think about their own lives. And that actually the security blanket of one job forever is not likely to be there. So how do you how do you support that? So that's... I think that enablement word is a really lovely word of like, how do we enable people to think about more and better, right? That just because this job here might disappear doesn't mean an opportunity for you here disappears. It just means that opportunity might be over here instead of over there. So I think that's that's an interesting way to look at it. It's empowering people though as well because, you know, we are evolving, let's face it, but some of the biggest barriers to innovation is it sits with behavior it's getting people on board with change it's often behavioral cultural change in a business and also this conflict in decision making at a leadership level because you might go into a business and there might be a leadership team and half of them might be similar patterns to you innovation wanting to be disruptors can visualize the future can see the improvements and the benefits and you might have conflicting opinions on the other side where people need more detail they need to understand the how they need the process they need it all to be mapped out now that makes a great leadership team because you've got debate and you can stimulate conflict in that organisation and challenge the status quo. However, you've then got to get them all on board in order for that to filter through, to, particularly to do some big pieces that might impact jobs because the fear factor kicks in. And I know, you know, that fear factor, it's not about getting rid of people's jobs, as you quite rightly say, Toby. It's about then upskilling and replacing, like in putting them places. in new yeah. places, yeah. which drives the business forward and makes... Or, or they might go and work somewhere else and, and find another job. But I think it's having that open-mindedness because I think you're right, the future is changing in relation to people having the same job for all of their life. Often you would go and study, take a job and stay in it. But... Even during COVID, if you look at the the changes in technology and digital that's happened and been fast-tracked, it's, I mean, you'll see it firsthand, Toby. Yeah, we do. And some of the stuff that we talked about pre-pandemic just didn't resonate at all. Now it resonates with everybody. And so I spend my time, whether it's in automotive, pharmaceutical, food sectors or the NHS, you know, it's starting to resonate that the the biggest problem we have in this world, I said it before, the biggest problem we have in this world is overconsumption. My business has thrived on overconsumption because that's that's that was the business model. And, and now what I'm saying is, look, we, make, we need to make money from selling less. We have to do that. You know, there's so much overstock in the world, obsolescence, and, and it should never be made in the first place. And therefore, it didn't need the power to get here or be manufactured and get here and all that. And all of that we have to look at. And I said before, collaboratively, we have because it changes business models, but it's then enabling people to see those differences and why we do it and why we need to change. You know, the whole procurement process of anything has to change in the way we think about it. It can't just be about buy lots more, get a cheaper price. It has to be about how do we buy less, preferably at the same price, and get it here better. And then the whole circular economy piece comes to play in it. And, and these are all massive changes to business models, traditional business models. And it's something that we, you know, I've struggled with 
over the last three or four years, but that's what business is about. That's what entrepreneurialism is all about. Is it's that struggle to making a difference and seeing a change in it, you know? So, but real conscious leadership. I mean, that's is, like yeah. yeah, it's real conscious leadership. Yeah, um, it's creating purpose, isn't it? It's, for me, it's, it is about purpose, and you know, I, I think we've always been a purpose-led business, and it's great to see some of these companies now becoming B core status, and, and that's fantastic. And it's really important. I, I think a lot of family businesses already have purpose. And it's already there, and it is incredible. And the reason I started all these other things, other than that, I like to do lots of stuff, is because I think it's really important that businesses become an integral part of their community. But to me, yeah, my my battle for the rest of my career is over consumption. I think, and how do we, how do we help that, particularly in the NHS, particularly in the NHS, because I think we could, we can make a real difference there. It's not for anything that they've done wrong. It's just the same everywhere. It's just there's lots more technologies now that will allow them to be better for the future, create less obsolescence, less stuff sitting on shelves, more accurate movement of parts to the right place, and then nurses and such able to be paid more because there's more cash available. It's all fairly simple. It's just an enormous elephant, incredibly large <laughs> it needs elephant. needs to be but, tackled. But it has to be eaten. Otherwise, yeah. you know, and, and that's not just here. It'll be globally, you know, yeah. in other other similar economies. And, and But we just, we've got to tackle that now, you know, so... Does that make, does that meet those spikes on the chart? Is that, it does. Is that Absolutely. Big picture, look at different things, want to revolutionise the world, you know, all of those things. Yeah. I've got a little wrap-up question for you because I think all of this has been fascinating. I'm, I'm conscious that probably a lot of people who are listening are scaling businesses. You know, yeah. you we've touched on that fastest 50 yeah. piece, but in reality, you scaled from 3 million to 14 million in three years. Practically, if a business listening to this is wanting to scale... What do you think, if you looked at that time period, were some of the game changers to scale in that quickly? I'm just going to say brilliant leadership, Laura. <laughs> I think that's where we'll just leave that. Other than having you in their business, um, what would be the other thing? Do you know what? There's it, it a little bit of luck in everything, being in the right place, right time. I think it was a crazy, chaotic time as well. That growth, even through the 13, 14, is... is is a, is a big step in a very short period of time. We added lots of people. I think we could have probably done things in a more rational way, uh, you know, but it was just it was just madness, it really was. And then, then the pandemic hit and things changed and, you know, probably became the fastest drinking company after that. Maybe not quite, but it, I, it's hard to say this is what you need to do, what you need to learn from it. What you probably need and what I would always say, and again, this is probably wearing Entrepreneurs Forum hat, is that... It's always useful to have somebody to talk to. It doesn't have to be a non-exec, you know, the first before a non-exec, get a mentor and be able to just sit down and have a conversation because you don't even necessarily feel craps all over the fan. It's just the ability to have that conversation, step back, look at it rationally because it can. It, it was absolutely crazy. So, yeah, always have somebody you can talk to. Whoever this, whether that's a mentor or just you know, it's not yeah. whatever. Just have someone. Have someone talk. as yeah. a sounding board to be able yeah, to reference. That, that that is a useful thing to do in terms of helping that you know. And I think the other thing, you know, the other thing that's really important in all this for me is great businesses. Oh, my entrepreneurs, forum friends are probably going to hate me for saying this, but great businesses don't have to scale. You don't need to scale. You can create a great business, and they call them lifestyle businesses, which also makes makes it feel a bit. Oh, that's not. That's do you want? It? It's that to me. That's fine too. You know, create a great business. It's not about turnover. It's about profit and how much money you get out of it and how much joy you have in your life. Scaling is, as I found, incredibly difficult. And, and we're still back to it. And I won't get to get back to it because that's me. But that doesn't have to be everybody. And you can have great businesses without necessarily needing to be the largest company in the world. Scaling is expensive. 
costs a lot of money. You need a lot of cash, whatever it is you're doing to grow. And so what I'm saying is, is that I want to go back to scale now. We want to move on with what, particularly on the tech side and what we're doing there. We've got some great new products coming out, which will allow us to do that. But that doesn't mean to say that's the only type of business. You don't have to scale, run a successful business, use mentors, use non-execs to keep that going forward, you know, but you don't have to be going at whatever it is, 20% a year just to be seen as being a great business. Don't ever, ever think that that's, you know. I think that's a great lesson because, again, it goes back to that almost that external validation piece that you see other people doing certain things. And it's like make sure what you're doing ties with your motivations and that you're getting out of it what you want to get from it and not feeling like you have to do this journey that everybody else is doing. Yeah, it's it's hard and it's stressful, you know. So it's balance it, you know. And if you want to scale, great. And if you don't, well, that's great too. But that doesn't mean to say you have to be a a weaker, poorer business because of it. Yeah, absolutely. A lovely message to wrap up on. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming. Pleasure. Let's wrap up with three takeaways from Toby's episode. The first being asking customers, why do you buy from us? Obviously, it's a given that you get feedback from your customers. But actually, what Toby described was when he asked this question of one of his customers, the response back was way greater than any of the products they were supplying. And actually, the answer was that they gave them confidence that they were never going to run out of something. And that breadth of answer gave them so many ways to pivot and bring in new products and services that sometimes the answers you'll get from that question are completely unexpected and can be so much bigger than you anticipate. He then talked about when he was a young leader, thinking that he was right a lot of the time and how that got in his way. So the lesson from that is if you don't have people in your business that can challenge you, that either don't have permission to challenge you or maybe seniority, it's important to then find ways to bring that in, whether that's in a non-exec or someone that could surround your business, but making sure that you've got opportunities to be challenged when you might be moving forward on something that you think is right and not having that breadth of opinion. And lastly, we talked about Toby's difference pattern. He's 88% difference and how when you're that extreme, it can feel like you are on a totally different playing field to other people in your business. So really the takeaway is if you think that you are someone who just loves change and often drive it for change's sake and just love that constant pace of things changing, that you need to be really conscious of the fact that you will probably be very different to other people in your business and finding people to bridge that gap for you and fill that void that actually might be between you and others in disseminating that change will be really important. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Misbehave podcast. Hit the subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.